Welcome to the Forum Club. I'm Bill Orem, joined by Anthony Slater. It is training camp week across the NBA. Players are reporting to their practice facilities. The Lakers will get start getting after it on the 3rd of December, which is going to be Thursday, which means we are about to dive into some real basketball talk. For a lot of people around the NBA, that has been months and months and months of waiting, of anticipation to be able to talk about basketball. For the Lakers, it's been... I don't know, Slater, what's it been, six weeks? Uh, I believe ten. It'll be ten weeks from winning the title to opening night, which is a very condensed offseason. I think it probably has been six now, but, you know, we're four weeks. From I mean, and guys couldn't go to Cabo, their usual European vacations. I didn't see any uh, uh, any of LeBron in Italy this year. Um, are guys going to be ready for the start of this if they haven't had their usual offseason uh wine and unwind time i must say if you told me you had an entire offseason you could only spend it at lebron's house in la it's probably not the worst offseason i mean i assume it's just an absurd mansion with you know pools and it basically is a vacation at your i house. could spend an entire offseason at zuri's house did you see what what lebron did for his daughter it's like a mini it's a mansion, mini mansion. Like mini yes yeah. so for her like there, there's a six-year-old in los angeles with a vacation dream home basically that would work just fine for me and my family. I have no sympathy for how they spent their off time. Now, the body and the mind getting ready to play 72 NBA games right. in, what, four and a half months? Like, that's a different story, and that's that's a, that is a um, definitely probably going to be a constant theme of the Lakers season of like where are they mentally like who is resting tonight oh they played terribly defensively tonight is it because they're so drained uh, from what they just previously did you know Slater that actually really ties in nicely to one of the things that um, is most uh, topical right now with the Lakers and that is Dennis Schroeder did you hear this you, you saw this right oh yeah I enjoyed it I enjoyed it Dennis Schroeder has his uh, has his meet the media moment um, via zoom on Monday and he says right off the bat, I am here to start, basically. He said, I have done this off-the-bench stuff the last two years. I'm ready to take a step forward and start. And I think it can help LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I'm curious for your thoughts on this, because I think there are two ways of looking at this question of whether or not Schroeder, who was number two in, in six-man-of-the-year voting, uh, whether or not he should start. One, to me, is pretty straightforward. You have a point guard, at least functionally. It's LeBron James. He was... Uh, the league leader in assists last year. He basically took on those primary playmaking duties. You put defensive wings around him. Avery Bradley had a little bounce if needed, but there really wasn't another ball handler on the floor next to LeBron, and it wasn't a problem. And by the way, that was doubly true in the uh, in the bubble because the wings were Danny Green and KCP. So the question is, do you need another point guard or is Schroeder better served running the second unit in a Rondo-esque role, running pick and roll with Montrez Harrell? That is the first way I look at it, that Schroeder was maybe speaking out of turn because LeBron is the point guard. And if that's the case, what a massive faux pas on day one. But I actually think what you were talking about, about the, the amount of offseason these guys have had and going into a 70-game regular season to say nothing of a you know two-plus-month playoff, does LeBron want to be the primary playmaker for 72 games after playing in the finals nine minutes ago? Does he want to be the 10 assists per game guy? Or can Dennis Schroeder come in, run the offense, let LeBron 
function differently, at least through the regular season, and maybe flip things. Because the Lakers are not built the same way they were last year. They're not built to play the same way they were last year. No, but you're shifting from what worked. You know, this team's identity was LeBron controlling the show. And the truth is, even if LeBron is okay ceding control, more control over to Schroeder than he did Rondo, LeBron, when it matters, is kind of a control freak. And he's going to want to be the point guard. So to me, I think separating LeBron's and Schroeder minutes as much as possible is what this team needs to do like when LeBron's on the bench Schroeder needs to be on the floor now they can also play together just like you know when LeBron was on the bench Rondo was on the floor but they sometimes played together to me starting and off the bench aren't that big a deal because you could start Schroeder just because it gives him the status of I'm a starter and then you you take him out at the six minute mark and you keep LeBron in. You get Caruso in there. You get maybe you put Wes Matthews in there if he's the guy coming off the bench. Yeah, and then when LeBron comes out at the end of the first quarter, Schroeder's right back in and he's running it. And so Schroeder has two jobs, which he kind of did in Oklahoma City. There was times where he was with Chris Paul. There was plenty of times where he was you know on the floor running the show when Chris Paul was on the bench. So what I found most interesting was you know and you kind of alluded to it. Um, there is like dude, that you're coming in and saying that on a title team on basically your first day of work. Um, that's bold. Which is why I think that there must be something to it. There must be fire where there's that smoke because... Would, like would he must know say that, that he's got to be a starter? Without Frank Vogel already articulating that, without LeBron, without LeBron's blessing. I mean, Schroeder's been in the league long enough. I mean, if he did speak out of turn and that was, you know, just him basically trying to put pressure on the situation or pressure the coach or not really uh, kissing the ring of LeBron James then that is, you know, that actually kind of adds up from the Schroeder that we all heard about in Atlanta and the reason that he kind of fell out of favor with the Hawks and the Hawks were so willing to dump him for a a draft pick, uh, essentially, in in the Carmelo Anthony deal. So, um, you you know, it's either, you know, kind of this great Dennis Schroeder sort of giving us a hint of what's to come or, I mean, either way, it's probably Dennis Schroeder giving us a hint of what's what's to come. It's either that, you know, he's going to be the starter or that he's not going to be in lockstep with the coaching staff and LeBron. I just thought the way he said it too, and reading it from your tweet and then later your story on it, though it was almost like he was like disgusted with the bench. This off the bench stuff that I was forced to do. Instead of like I was backing up Hall of Fame point guards. Yeah. <laughs> I was backing up Hall of Fame point guards number one. Number two, like the best bench scores players particularly as they've aged i'm talking the jamal crawford to the world lou williams um they've come to embrace that as their tag right i am the six man i am the you know no other team in the league has a weapon like our team has of me coming off the bench like that becomes a status and to me it seemed like schroeder was embracing um becoming that like he was a like i thought he was gonna go there be it you know he still might become you know stay one of the best six men in the league and then like that is just his reputation for the next few years and you get paid well to do that in the league and it, it, it's very important he almost ha- like it reminded me the first thing i thought of i used to cover the thunder reggie jackson um so James Harden was the sixth man, and then that you know obviously the Thunder make that legendary trade, trade him to the Rockets, and then Reggie Jackson fills the James Harden role, and he is the sixth man. They go to the playoffs. Reggie Jackson comes off the bench for a monster mid-series game against those old grit and grind Grizzlies, scores like thirty-five points. He's the story of the game. They win in overtime. It was a must-win. They end up winning the series. He's crying on the floor in his post-game interview with Jay Adondi, and it was like. Part of the story going into the next season was like, yeah, they traded James Harden, but they kind of found their next James Harden. Uh, and then at media day, 
Reggie Jackson goes, yeah, that was fun, but Hall of Famers don't come off the bench. I'm do- I'm kind of done coming off the bench. And it was like, uh, dude, like R- Russell Westbrook's still here. Like your role on this team is to come off the bench. Does he think he is actually the other Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, who is in the Hall of Fame in his respective sport? You know who he thought he was? He thought he was James Harden. He was like, yeah, yeah. it was fun to be James Harden as the bench player, but now I want to be James Harden, the superstar on the Rockets, so give me my own right. team. And it, we came to learn over the next few weeks, the Thunder was not okay with him like, being a starter and like it became friction within the team so sometimes guys say that and they don't have necessarily the blessing of their team they're almost trying to put pressure on the team to start them i know i am not sure what the situation is here i'm sure you're going to probably be finding out over the next couple weeks as you ask frank vogel you know about the starting lineup decisions and as camp plays itself out but uh, i will say this he made a storyline in his first press conference and now i mean there's something that i'm gonna follow and you're gonna follow over in the next few weeks of like you know is this the plan or is he just trying to force it to be the plan? You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you read the interview that uh, I'm sure you did that Richard Deitch, our colleague at The Athletic, did with uh, Andre Iguodala the other day. Did you see this? Yes. Yes, I did. So one of one of the questions, one of the things that, that, that he got Iggy to talk about was this idea of how he has coached younger players coming into the league to deal with the media. And it was like nails on a chalkboard for me because there is nothing worse in our profession, Slater, than guys who refuse to take... Um, who are boring, let's just say. Guys who, you know, every game give 110%, one day at a time sort of sort of players. And, you know, a lot of guys come into the league with, you know, pretty brazen or pretty open, willing to willing to be honest about their feelings. And and as they as they get hardened by the league and they see sometimes how these quotes get played or how fans react to things that they did not that were not ill-intentioned, they do become more boring. And that was one thing that Andre Iguodala talked about was telling telling guys no matter what just be boring, you know, so that they don't even want to use what you said because that that means you're you know staying out of the headlines. Yeah. And Dennis Schroeder <laughs> did not do that, and it's 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 going to be. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see if if he if that's going to be the way he is all season, and that's the way just the, that he is wired, and whether that is going to put him out of sync with some of the forces of this team because this is a very leadership driven Lakers team where you know last year you had guys who you thought were going to make headlines kind of away from Anthony Davis and LeBron James and it never happened because everyone really understood the forces that were at the top of this roster and you know the coaching staff and and you know front office I mean it really felt like you know you know they really kept their own house in order last year and I have no problem with with Dennis Schroeder saying he wants to start um, and I have no problem with Dennis Schroeder saying he wants to start, even if he ultimately doesn't end up starting. But you're right that the way he said it and the fact that he created a headline on day one, what does that mean for his fit chemistry-wise long-term if, in fact, he doesn't have the blessing of LeBron, Frank Vogel, if they were caught off guard by this, it is a an inauspicious start to his Lakers tenure, if that's the case. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it, it could be nothing. I mean, and that's and that's where we are in the season, right? We are... You know, a few days away from the start of training camp, we haven't talked to Frank Vogel since after Game Six of the Finals. So much has changed. There could be so there's so much to be discussed and decided by this coaching staff before even their first preseason game on December 11th. So you know, it's easy to go down two you know two wormholes of it was you know he's going to be the starter and what that means, or he's not going to be the starter but he thinks he is and what that means. Yeah, I mean because they haven't even been together. You know, maybe there is a thought from Vogel or even LeBron like yeah, it could work as a starting lineup but you know maybe you get into training camp and you're like eh it doesn't really this lineup doesn't really fit or you get 20 games into the season and you've tried it and it you know hey no like there's the rotations need to be tweaked 
Dennis Schroeder, you need to be coming off the bench. Or, you know, even if it goes down to the playoffs, think about how many lineup tweaks Vogel made during the you know course of that postseason. A lot of times matchup-based. Um, what Schroeder has done with this comment, which I agree with you, I love this type of stuff. We, you know, as reporters, we love this type of stuff. We want honesty. We, we want headlines. I'm not saying we want clickbait headlines, but we just want segments on a podcast that are interesting, and it's a lot more interesting. We want the truth. Yes. Like, I mean, not to go all Tom Cruise and a few good men, but if a player is telling us something that is a, an accurate reflection of their feelings or, you know, how they see the game, then we have succeeded in our job because we've gotten we've gotten in inside the head of a player a little bit. And that is that is our fundamental obligation to the reader is to is to tell them what they can't see just by watching the game or you know, or or watching the coverage on television is you know to, to to go deeper and and help interpret and also you know pry out some extra nuggets of information yes but at the same time we both also understand locker room dynamics as you laid out earlier and the fact that if dennis Schroeder even starts but at some point gets benched immediately he's going to get peppered with questions vogel's going to get peppered with questions lebron's going to get peppered with questions it's going to happen this week right i mean like they're going to be asked about Schroeder's comments um and Again, you you the same thing you said. Last year's season was about how pure that chemistry was from pretty much from start to finish, how everyone comfortably fit in their roles. Think about the guys who could have been distractions on that roster last year, who have who have carried the label of being distractions elsewhere in their career. Dwight Howard, Demarcus Cousins, who was with that team for, you know, the first six months of the season, Dion Waiters, J.R. Smith. To a lesser degree, Contavious Caldwell Pope. Kuzma, Kuzma could have said, "Hey, I want to." Kuzma play. certainly could have been an issue, and he was not last year. And I and I and I think, you know, they just it just speaks to a really really good culture. And that's one thing when you make wholesale changes to your roster, you are betting that you can either recreate the culture you had or a willingness to take on a new culture. And the thing about the Lakers' culture last year was it was unimpeachable. Everyone bought into what that organization and that locker room was about. And when you when you overhaul a roster, and, and listen, I understand that the Lakers are fundamentally the same in that they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but they potentially have three new starters. They have two guys coming off the bench who are used to being, I mean, that's I'm assuming Schroeder comes off the bench, but honestly, even with Kuzma, they have multiple players who are used to being the focal point off the bench. So I'm going to be curious to see how this all works out. I think the Lakers got a lot better. I mean, don't get me wrong. But by making changes, just by definition, can't be exactly the same. Yes, and the truth is, and I've really experienced this covering the Warriors, every season is different. It's its own story. People have their own motives, their own frustrations, their own different things going on in life. Um, And even if the Lakers said, we want to run it back exactly the same. Dwight Howard, you're coming back. Rondo, you're coming back. Danny Green, we're not trading you. And Because they could have done that. Um, I there still would have been questions like is Dwight Howard saying, "Hey, no, I I kind of want a larger role this year. I was great in the playoffs." Rondo, the same thing. Rondo comes out a week before training camp and says, "You know, I've done this come off the bench thing for a couple of a yeah. couple of years now." Yeah, but I'm raising on Rondo, and I've I just proved in the playoffs. I think Rob Palinka had a pretty good summer, but I have questions about this team. And you know, every. T- Look, if we were doing a podcast on any team, we'd go into the season with like a, a lot of questions. If you watched The Last Dance this summer, which we all did because it was all we could do in, in May and June, think of the questions that were around the 97-98 Bulls going into that year. When they went when they, when they started in Paris and the questions were, you know, does, is Scotty going to demand a trade? Um, does, you know, Mike have left enough left in the tank? You know, all the, all the things that were circling about that team and, you know, not really a great deal of confidence that that team was going to be able to uh, get the three-peat done. Um, and then now we look back on it as one of the iconic teams of all time. So you, just to, to 
to hammer home your point, there isn't a team in the league or really in league history that we wouldn't be having these kinds of conversations about as we kind of surveyed the roster and tried to anticipate what the year ahead might be like. But I will say this, of this will be my eighth year covering the Lakers, and it goes back to the year after Kobe tore his Achilles. This is probably the roster that I've had the least questions about going into the season. Yeah, The, the roster where I felt the most comfortable that they had put themselves in a position to win the championship. Last year, I was confused a little bit about the center position. I was really not sure about how the personalities were all going going to fit. Um, and it, they couldn't it, shoot either. They couldn't and they couldn't shoot. shoot. And it yielded a championship. So uh, having questions is not is not a sign of, of bad things to come. I think that there are naturally questions when there's something you haven't seen before. So I wrote the story today on the site, you know, about the five different questions. And I kind of, on the last point. Hey, don't you, steal my segue. Yeah, okay, go ahead if you want to segue it. But... Um, no, so the fifth question I had kind of, it really ties into what we're talking about, where I, I mentioned, so Durant comes to the Warriors that first year, and there's such a motivation level around the franchise where KD is, has no ring. The Warriors are coming off a collapse in the finals, um, and they are just, and they're, you know, Durant's getting ridiculed. The Warriors are kind of getting ridiculed for adding him, whatever. Even if people figured they were the title favorites, there was just, they wanted to just prove that the, they could dominate, and KD wanted a ring. Um, and they 67 wins in the regular season, an awesome defense. I think they were third in defensive rating, first in offensive efficiency, greatest offensive efficiency ever. Then they went 16 and one in the playoffs. They were actually 15 and 0 at one point. They went sweep, 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 up 3 0 on the Cavs, lost game four, almost became the first team ever to go 16 and 0. Um, and so then going into the next year, they brought everybody back, and it was like okay that team is now more comfortable together more confident they are about to win you know they might break the record and win 74 and then run to another title um but the motivation level was gone and there started to be more thorniness in the locker room and their defensive habits slipped and i mentioned it in the story like that's always what i looked at was the defensive rating because you know People like to score. Even if you're not happy with something in the locker room or tired during the regular season, like you're just going to go score. But how do you defend? Do you still have that enthusiasm every night to defend? And the Warriors slipped in the three Durant years, despite having the same players from third in rating to 11th in rating to, I think, 12th, something like that. And it went from like 103 to 106 to 108. And that's a question I have with the Lakers this year. They, they have the makings of an awesome defense again. But Anthony Davis doesn't quite have the motivation level. LeBron particularly, right? Do we expect LeBron to play the same defensively this year as he did last year, which was probably his best defensive year in half a decade? I would probably guess on a night-to-night basis, no. Um, so that is the number one, I say, stat I would watch for the Lakers this year, defensive rating, because they were third last year. I think it was, I don't remember the exact number, but that will tell you, where they're at motivation-wise. I've made this point before, but you know we don't really have a great feeling that this, this regular season is going to matter all that much in, in terms of you know the Lakers are going to be somewhere in the top three or four in the West, could easily win the West if they made that their goal, but I don't know. I shouldn't say easily, but they could be first or second if they made that their goal. I don't know that that's going to be their goal this year. Maybe having home court in the playoffs is in, in the first round is a goal worth worth striving for, but you know it, if there aren't going to be fans in the arena, I don't know how much it matters, um, which allows them to sort of take their foot off the gas. And I think that's when you're going to see that slippage 
on the defensive end. It does, and like they're in. It's funny it, covering those Warrior seasons on a day to day basis. The story all year was yeah, but they'll flip the switch. They'll flip the switch in the playoffs. Doesn't and always now, work that way. Yeah. Now in retrospect, when you look back at the three seasons, it got harder and harder in the playoffs every year, and they went seven with the Rockets. You know, in their second year, and then obviously the last year the bodies fell apart. They end up losing to the Raptors, but. It's just when you wear that tag all season of oh it's so this is so hard to get through and it's it's we're bored by the regular season we don't necessarily need to get up and oh winter the playoffs gonna arrive that was this all year was it'd be like January and it's like oh can April fifteenth get here that when April fifteenth got there they were still kind of wearing that tag the whole way and like it affected them in the playoffs now they were so talented they were still the favorite in every series and really it took some catastrophic injuries to eventually knock them off and again. I think the Lakers could go into the playoffs as a three-four seed, um, and I just I think their talent still could take them over the top. But part of the reason they were so good in the playoffs is because the the habits they had built, the vibe around that team, the you know just like that energy to go get the title. It's a lot easier to hunt than to be hunted, right? They they're now becoming hunted. And that is a different life in the NBA. And that will be interesting to watch this year. So that was your fifth question uh, relating to the defensive rating and all that that you just went through um, in the piece that you wrote, which I would recommend everyone go read um, since you all took advantage of the $1 Black Friday sale, subscription sale that was that was active throughout the weekend. You all have your subscriptions now, I'm sure. Check out the Orem Dennis Schroeder story too that just posted. I mean, you got to read the quotes word for word. They're, they're terrific. <laughs> I love it. He's incredible. I love covering the guy already. Um, but let's let's talk about this piece you've got because I think it really does set the stage for the regular season that that we are we are signing up for. So we've we've gone over number five, which which in this in this piece uh, has the subheading how motivated are the Lakers, and as a result, how much defensive slippage do we see? We've gone over that. Let's start at the top of this though. Number one, this is is this is this fair to say is your biggest question? Are these in order? Okay, Anthony Slater's biggest question about the 2020-2021 Lakers is is Montrez Harrell an actual upgrade when it matters most? Slater, everyone's excited about Montrez Harrell. He was sixth man of the year. Why wouldn't this be a huge upgrade? Explain yourself. Well, we had the segment on the last podcast and we kind of went through it, but you know, I, I think the Denver matchup is a perfect lens to view this through because of how stark the difference is between Montrez Harrell and Dwight Howard in that matchup in the playoffs, where you know, Dwight Howard just got, he got, what did he get, a little over the minimum to go to Philadelphia? Yep. And wanted a little over the minimum. Like, he's clearly valued less in the league than Montrezl Harrell. Like, if Dwight Howard, we'll just take a random team. If Dwight Howard was on the Hornets right now compared to Montrezl Harrell, Montrezl Harrell would be way more valuable because he's just going to, like, score a bunch in the regular season and you can run pick and rolls through him. He's going to do so much more offensively. But if you're a team who, you're going to be good in the regular season if you have one of the two either way, like the Lakers are, um, what really matters is who you might face at the end of the line and what marginal parts of your roster might help against those certain teams. I... Denver is probably one of the two or three biggest threats to the Lakers, particularly in the conference, now that the Warriors are, are down. Um, and in if you, like Dwight Howard was better against the, the Nuggets in the playoffs when we last saw the NBA in the bubble than Montrezl Harrell was. I mean, the numbers are obvious in the Lakers series. Uh, the Lakers were plus 27, I think, with Dwight Howard on the floor when Jokic was on the floor and like a minus 10 or something like that when no Howard and Jokic was on the floor. So they kind of won those won that series in the Howard minutes when he was irritating Jokic. And meanwhile, the Clippers lost 
that series to the Nuggets in the Montrose Harrell minutes. Minus 58 when Harrell's on the floor with Jokic, and then plus something. I can't remember the exact number. But they were in the positive when it was Jokic against Zubac or Jokic against a smaller lineup that didn't include Montrose Harrell. So Montrose Harrell has playoff questions. Montrose Harrell, that signing I think is going to be viewed as awesome all regular season. We've already kind of mentioned him and Schroeder and how that'll go. But there's a world where Montrose Harrell in the wrong matchup in the playoffs really hurts the Lakers. I don't know about his fit against the Clippers because he's always been on the Clippers and I want to see the Clippers and that is the number one matchup that they should be worried about. But that's playoff life in the NBA. You can be a great regular season player, but if you just don't fit when the stakes rise against the teams that matter, you end up potentially hurting your team. Yeah. All right, number two, we're going to stick with the big men here. How much has Marc Gasol declined? Why Why do you hate all the Lakers free agent signings? That is my question. Why are you so mean to all of them? You were mean to Montrez Harrell. Now you're mean to Marc Gasol. It's not just has Marc Gasol declined. It's how much has... What is the bottom for Marc Gasol is, is the question. Well, just how bad is he going to be? Oh is that what you're saying? Man. Well, I'm going to get Mark on the phone well, I was gonna say, see, see what he thinks I of this. I was going to say has Marcus Gasol declined, but the reality is, of course he's declined. He used to be Defensive Player of the Year All-Star in Memphis. And you know? now he is a 36-year-old man, and as someone who is very close to that myself, I can tell you it hurts. It yeah. hurts a lot. So he declined but was still awesome for the Raptors two years ago in the playoffs. Um, he was a great in that Milwaukee series. He was really good in the finals when they beat the Warriors. Uh, and got their title. I think he played like 30 minutes a night. And he was like, he shot it, saw, I think, 38% from three in those playoffs. And if he's shooting it decently and confident enough to shoot it, then defenses kind of have to come up on him. And he can do his, like, you know, genius passing, backdoor bounce pass, dribble handoff stuff with, like, uh, you know, it was Fred Van Fleet at the time. This year it would maybe be Schroeder, maybe LeBron. Um and defensively, if he's got a little juice in the legs and the legs are feeling healthy, he's still got the mind, obviously, to be an awesome defender. Um, but he he was a lot worse in his these this past playoffs for the Raptors than he was the one before. So my question is, was that just like a little bubble mirage? Or like is Marcus Gasol like really kind of hitting the end of the line? He was 5 of 27 from 3 in the playoffs uh, to the point where Nick Nurse really limited his role. Um, and... If he's not shooting it and he's like almost kind of afraid to shoot it at times, that can be detrimental to an offense. Um, but at the same time, if Marcus Ole is the Marcus Ole from two seasons ago and they got that guy at the minimum, he really masks a lot of the concerns I have about Montrez Harrell. He's better than JaVel McGee in a playoff situation. And then we'll say they probably, up, in totality, upgraded the center spot. Um, but I don't know. We'll see on Marcus Hull. You know, he was, he, he was injured last year. I think he only played 44 games. He had hamstring trouble. Like, I have questions about where his career... You know, everybody eventually hits a point in their career where they just stop being who they were. Well, not LeBron James, but everyone else. Well, yeah. he it might be 46 for LeBron James, but there will be <laughs> a point. 72. Right? Yeah. But there will be a point where LeBron James is like, uh, you just you don't got it anymore. As good as you were, I don't know if Marcus Hull is there. What are your thoughts on Marcus Hull? I know you already did an interview with him. Yeah. Like, where are you at on him? I'm with you. I mean, as long as he's healthy and playing, he doesn't have to be Memphis Marcus Hull. Nobody's looking for that. He's obviously not offensively the player that that he was um, the last time he was in the Western Conference. But to me, the question is, what if something happens to Marcus Hull? And that is not an unlikely scenario where he's going to miss some games. Like you said, he was hampered a year ago. He's only getting older. You know, 36 is a, is kind of of a precarious age in the NBA. And he is their only 
the only guy you would even say is close to a rim protector. He's their only, you know, true center on the roster outside of Anthony Davis. And if, if you were to lose Mark Gasol, um, where are you going to be able to turn to generate some of that size defensively? Because your other centers on this roster are Montrez Harrell and Markeith Morris. And both those guys fit next to Anthony Davis very, very differently than yeah. JaVale well, McGee, Dwight Howard, or even Mark Gasol. The truth is, if Montrez Harrell or... Marquise Morris are on the floor with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is the center. You know, we'll talk yeah, about these no lineups question. where it's like no Davis question. and Harold. It's like Davis is just the center in those lineups. Yeah. Where Gasol's on the floor, Davis can be a four. Well, and, and Davis, I think, you know, it might be a little bit where you're going to see Montrez Harold, you know, on the floor with AD. Maybe maybe Harold takes the center defensively and, and you can spare uh, Davis physically a little bit. But then offensively, he's going to be the center offensively. I think that you can play some games maybe there a little bit because Harold's um, strong enough. But you're right. I mean, it's going to be Anthony Davis at, at the five, which. I mean, in a scenario where you don't have the personnel, I mean, you're, he's going to have to live with it. But it has been very made very clear by Anthony Davis that over the course of a regular season, he does not want to be playing big minutes at the center position. And the Lakers do not have a roster that is as conducive to fulfilling that wish as they did a year ago when they went out of their way to have, you know, 14 feet of of size uh, at that position. Did you learn anything from Gasol? I mean, obviously you didn't learn anything like Schroeder allowed you to learn, but... Um... Just what, what was your first impressions of like Gasol the Laker interview? I think uh, Andy Kamenetsky or Brian Kamenetsky tweeted this, but it's, it's it was true. He sounds exactly like Pal. I mean, I covered Pal for his last year with the Lakers, and if you were to close your eyes and listen to Mark Gasol talk, you would think you were talking to Pal. You know, I'd have to go back and look at the interview. I mean, he was he was pretty diplomatic. I, I thought it was interesting that he said he never considered going and playing in Barcelona, as was reported. He was never close to, to going overseas. He feels like he has a lot left in the tank. That was a strange t- turn of the offseason when that was randomly out right. there. And, like, you know, a lot of teams like, man, he's crossed off the list. And I was like, wait, no, this didn't happen? Like, I think he still defensively has a chance to be really, really effective for this team. And it's, it's not going to be the same way that JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were. He's not going to be blocking shots out of bounds. There's no finger wagging. It's better from, from a playoff Hull. perspective. It's team Absolutely. Because he'll be in the right place. And I think, you know, obviously he doesn't have the lateral quickness necessarily, but do I think he's going to be in the right place, challenge shots at the rim, be in the help position? I, I really do. You know who I like him against? Nikola Jokic. And that's the thing. As long as he is healthy... He can play you know, minute for minute to minute with with Nikola Jokic. You don't need to get creative to defend Jokic. You have one of the best one v one options against Jokic. And and regardless of whether that's the second round or the conference finals, um, it seems inevitable that you're going to run into the, the Nuggets again. Now, obviously, we thought that about the Clippers last year also, but the Nuggets are a team that you would expect the Lakers to potentially see down the line. And the Clippers and Nuggets are the only two teams right now in the Western Conference I would be the least bit scared of. I think. With the war, am I missing anyone? The Warriors are banged up. Houston's going to be uh, a train wreck. Yeah. And Utah, for some reason, just still feels one one tier below. They should have beaten the Nuggets in the first round last year. Yeah. And that was when they didn't have Mike Conley for Game One, and they didn't have Boyan Bogdanovich for the entire the entire bubble run. We have not seen them in the postseason with a full roster, including Boyan Bogdanovich, who I thought was at times their best player in the regular season. I would say the wild card is the Mavericks, if. Luca makes yeah. the MVP jump, which is realistic. You know, it does seem like kind of the narrative is shifting. You know, Giannis is almost old MVP news, like, you know, proven in the playoffs at this point. Um, I could see, you know, Luca just makes an unbelievable jump. They got a bit better defensively. You know, you replace Seth Curry with Josh Richardson. Um, now, Porzingis' health is a huge deal. I, I think he's going to miss the start of the season with this knees thing. But if he's back healthy and playing well and rim protecting and hitting threes, like, 
I'm not saying that they're like a huge threat to the Lakers, but who knows? I mean, Luca pro- at some point in his early career is going to make take his team to a jump to contender status. I assume you're right. They're there in the, the in the top half of the West, also. So if we handled Marcus All, oh yeah, moving down your list, uh, is this your big questions? It is your biggest question marks, and it's, it, and all your questions happen to be about. Big guys. So maybe there's going to be like small question marks about guards next week. Is that is that coming? Well, you know how on our site when we write, we have to like, you know, if you make the subsection, you make it like a bigger headline. You know, I should have just made the font smaller for <laughs> small. But for if sure. you want to get into it, I mean, like you're right. Top three that I mentioned were three free agent big men and how they changed teams, right? I mean, those are three of the bigger names. It was Harold, Gasol, Abaca. And the way it played out was... Harrell left the Clippers early for the Lakers in free agency and was like, whoa, you know, Lakers just took away a weapon from their biggest competitor. You know, the Warriors had already lost Clay at the time. None of the East teams had done anything to make you think that suddenly, you know, they're a huge finals threat. And it was like, I think the Lakers just basically punctured their biggest competitor and nobody else is rising here. So that's a major offseason win. And then later in free agency, you get the Serge Ibaka news and it's like, oh, whoa, that changes things because. I think the Clippers are better. I think Abaka. I mean, I know this. He's a better rim protector than Montrezl Harrell. He's a better pick and roll defender than Montrezl Harrell. Can switch out a bit more. He's a better shooter than Montrezl Harrell. Serge Abaka made like 51% of his playoff threes. Made like 38% overall. He's mostly like a, a high 30s guy. But that's unbelievable for a, for a stretch four, stretch five. Um, he does nowhere near the type of like you know hand him the ball and he can pick and roll or he can he can screen and dive like Montrezl Harrell's a much better score in that sense but if you're on the Clippers and you can stagger Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and you have other scorers and weapons Serge Ibaka is a much better fit for what they need in the playoffs he can guard a Jokic much better if the Clippers play the Nuggets in a series so they got a lot better and when we're talking about really the Lakers at the top level that ma- what the Clippers do matters to the Lakers because that's who we're matching them up against well let's talk about the the chemistry there also I mean Serge Ibaka is a guy who won a championship with Kawhi Leonard is clearly comfortable with some of the idiosyncrasies of playing with Kawhi that were an issue with that Clippers locker room a year ago our colleague Jovan Buha has done an incredible job you know highlighting or um, you know documenting some of the issues in that locker room and it was pretty clear that Montrez Harrell was not really on board with kind of the preferential treatment that Kawhi Leonard expected to have and and received once he arrived in LA. And so Serge Ibaka, just from a chemistry standpoint, as Jovan wrote this week, the videographer for the iconic what it do baby line, um, it just, to me, it just seems like a better cultural fit also. And that, that makes me concerned a little bit about the Clippers because it does seem like a big part of their undoing was that they weren't all on the same page with Kawhi. And, you know, and replacing a guy who wasn't with a guy who is feels like a big a big uh, organizational upgrade for them. And, also. you know, and you're mentioning the off-court chemistry stuff. is the on-court stuff, too, because he doesn't need the ball. Yeah. And that's p- part of what I missed. Like, Absolutely. Serge Ibaka's never going to be like, run this play for me. You know, I don't want to get back to question number one, but Montrezl Harrell's going to want the ball in L.A., which the Lakers didn't have off the bench. Now, I think that helps them. They did need more bench scoring, but... Him and Schroeder want shots. And you know what? That really gets into my fourth question. I was going to say bench scoring. They have Kyle Kuzma, number four on your list. How comfortably does Kyle Kuzma play his role? What is Kyle Kuzma's role now that there are two leading sixth man of the year candidates coming for his touches? Yeah, so this is somewhat of a discussion we had last week, right, too. But contract year Kyle Kuzma is about to arrive to the scene. We've never seen this. He's never been you know, staring down the barrel of a payday. 
Um, and we know that his value within the league over the last four years is really kind of waxed and waned. And um, my question to him is, like, does he view the, – the market values six, eight wings who can guard multiple positions, can score off the ball without needing touches, and can rebound and hustle and, like, what Kyle Kuzma could be, potentially could be. Um, but does he think, hey, I want to be a – 14 shot per game scorer on the Charlotte Hornets and I I should average 20 and I and I want looks and because I'm coming up on a contract I think that's more valued on the market and I think that you know he has a title now so he can say I've done the team thing now I kind of you know he's at an age where he should want to explore what he possibly could be in the league so um and so I'm saying what is he gonna how is he gonna go into the season like what his what he wants his role to be and it's more complicated by the fact that he's now playing in a second unit that has scores that has Dennis Schroeder who's gonna get 12 13 14 shots a game that's gonna have Montrose Harrell running a bunch of pick and rolls being high usage so uh yeah to me that should probably be higher on the list than I put it. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Kuzma last year going into the season could have legitimately laid claim to being at least in the conversation to be the Lakers' third best player. Certainly their third most important scorer. And, you know, after the playoffs, I mean, we went through this after the finals. You know, he was maybe their seventh or eighth best player in the playoffs. You know, didn't really find his groove offensively. He was a better defender than we were necessarily used to seeing from him. So I think that was, you know, a win for Kyle Kuzma. And again, from the value standpoint. But right now, I think Dennis Schroeder's Lakers' third best player. Montrez Harrell is right there. Mark Gasol is, is a very important piece. Too. KCP was their third best player in the playoffs on a championship team. So Kyle Kuzma, to me, it's such a make-or-break year for him. And it really does get back to the defense for him because they lost so much perimeter defense this offseason. I like Wesley Matthews. I like Schroeder. But Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Rajon Rondo in the playoffs are just different breeds of defenders. And I think that the Lakers are looking for Kyle Kuzma to fill that role to a degree. He's obviously not going to be the 94-foot hound dog that Avery Bradley was. But Alex Caruso is a really good defender. Talon Horton Tucker is a really good defender. If Kyle Kuzma does not emerge as a really good defender for this team, I think his value just tanks. And so then I would wonder if he becomes a trade candidate at at the deadline to fill whatever hole the Lakers identify they have with their roster. Because this is a very different team. They don't know necessarily where the holes are going to be. You might have some guesses, but you know, Kyle Kuzma is their last attractive you know, trade piece. And so I feel that he has to establish himself early on in this season and show that he fits with these other pieces that really could make him expendable. Yeah. And, you know, Kyle Kuzma's 25 years old. Kyle Kuzma now forever can call himself an NBA champion. So can Dion Waiters. Yes, true, true, true. JaVale McGee three times. But that's got to piss Carl Malone and like uh-huh. Charles Barkley off so much. Adam like, Morrison too back in the day right. for the Lakers. Right? That was the one. But I wouldn't blame Kyle Kuzma for having you know ambitions to see what he could be at age 26, 27 as a featured offensive player for a team. Particularly now because he has shown he can be a winning rotational component of a title team. Um, so. That is such an underlying factor in the season. Like, how okay is Kyle Kuzma with the Kyle Kuzma that the Lakers need? Facing the pivot point of his career, which is coming off the rookie contract. That's the big thing. I feel like the question of the Dennis Schroeder question. If I'm Kyle Kuzma, I'm paying attention to to the Dennis Schroeder thing very, very closely. Because if Dennis Schroeder is starting and there isn't a 
an obvious ball handler coming off the bench. Alex Caruso um, can dribble it a little bit. Taylor Horton Tucker, if he's if he's getting rotation minutes, um, can handle the ball a little bit. Um, but those those guys are not traditional point guards, and neither is Kyle Kuzma. But he has he has been a playmaker at times for the Lakers in the bubble before the postseason. We saw that more when Rondo was out. You know, he has had opportunities to have the ball in his hands. He ran some pick and rolls with Dwight Howard for the second unit last year. And now it's like, should the second unit ever have Kyle Kuzma run a pick and roll when you're going to have Davis out there at times with reserves? You're obviously going to have Harrell and Schroeder like, does he ever make sense as a guy to hand the ball to? Probably not. There isn't another point guard on this roster after Dennis Schroeder. And so if it's going to be ball handler by committee with the second unit, if Schroeder's, if, if Kuzma's on the floor without LeBron or Schroeder, which I think we are in agreement that Schroeder should be on the floor when LeBron isn't, and you can still do that even if he starts. Yeah. But you know, if I'm Kyle Kuzma, like opportunities to have the ball in my hands and run pick and roll and do it better than I than you know he did it a year ago. I think you broke down some of his miscues, you know, as the ball handler uh, last year going into the postseason. But I would be looking to redeem myself on that front because that is an opportunity to reestablish some value, also. No doubt. And again, I don't want to you know present myself as the downer who's trying to convince people that the Lakers aren't going to repeat. They're definitely one of the two clear favorites. But there are storylines and potential weak spots to follow. You know who we have talked minimally about, and it it just continues to amaze and astonish me because it was this way last year also, and it was this way almost throughout the finals. But LeBron James, I would like you to give me your biggest question about LeBron James going into his 17th season, and and then I'll give you mine. His um, defensive give a F level. I guess I could swear on this podcast we are the the Lakers. I mean, I mean listen. I mean, the, the listen. Athletes. We have the F word in the title of the of the podcast. Does he give a form? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know what your largest. You probably have a different one, but I just you know that was that was so important last season. The way he bought into Vogel early, the way he defended with effort from day one, and really on a pretty much on a nightly basis, uh, and down the stretch of games would sometimes take the tough assignment. But I also remember. You know, some of his Cavaliers days, even some of his Heat days, where it was like, I'm just going to take this month off defensively. You're saying when he was Cavalier about it? Exactly. There you go. That's at Bill Oram, B I L L O R A M on Twitter. No space. More quality humor like that. Um, what's your biggest LeBron question? You know, it's, it's, I, think it's, I think it's connected. Uh, you know, shortest offseason of his career. Um, what his output is going to be at the beginning? Is he playing every night? And then what kind of tone does that set for the rest of the year and for the rest of the roster? Because there are a lot of guys on this team who haven't played with LeBron before. And you go back to the young guys who played with LeBron in his first year with the Lakers. You know, LeBron didn't have buy-in with that roster. He was not, you know, he got hurt, obviously. And when he was hurt, he was pretty absent. And it really created, and he was trying to get everybody traded, but it really created, you know, just, you know, some, some factions within that locker room. And I wonder... What, you know, is he going to be trying to set the tone, you know, defensively, like you said? Is he going to be playing every night? Does he want to be the primary playmaker? That's what made the Lakers so great a year ago was that everyone fell in line behind LeBron because he was a man on a mission. I don't know that he's going to be on the same kind of mission this year. I could be surprised, pleasantly surprised, but he's had six weeks to recover before he's expected to show up and start doing this all over again. And if I'm LeBron, just from my own well-being standpoint, I'm looking at this as a slow buildup back to you know, the heart of the regular season and and into the playoffs. And that wasn't the way the Lakers played last year. And so I I just, I'm going to be really curious to see what his mental approach to this is 
And it dovetails with what you're talking about, but not just defensively, but just really almost like spiritually. And what's that going to mean for the rest of this team as they get into the summer? And he's not shy about like telling the media, you guys, the beat guys about his spiritual, you know, feelings and like how much harder it is to recover later in his career and, you know, what his body's going through, what he mentally went through in the bubble, all that. So he's kind of viewed as the invincible man because what his career has been. But this is a guy who like does, you know, deal with those issues and stuff does get to him and he does need his recovery time and he's pretty open about that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, the easy guess is he's going to like really, you know, slog through the first few months with an expectation and, you know, a track record to back it up that he'll be there when it matters. Um, but are the Lakers team wide habits there when it matters if the 72 games are kind of a just, you know, slugging through some mud? Yeah, you know, I mean, what's the saying? Steel sharpens steel, right? And that was a big Kobe thing. And if the Lakers don't have that intensity from the beginning and they're not trying to prove the same point that they did a year ago, do they are they are they subject more to the lapses we saw we've we saw from the Warriors once or twice Clippers. and then obviously and then the Clippers a year ago. I mean, that's the obvious one to me is that the Clippers, you know, really did not take the, the regular season seriously and it bit them in the butt at, at the end. And one thing I'll say is that's something that Montrez Harrell was on the record as saying that he didn't like. And so that is not something you're going to need to worry about with one of the new guys and I think culturally the Lakers don't want to be like that, but there is just the reality of the situation and the fact that you are playing unprecedented circumstances in the middle of a pandemic where you know, there is a mental toll of just trying to stay healthy, keep your family healthy. You're getting tested every day. I mean, by the way, I mean, we could devote a whole other hour. We've gone close to an hour on this, but like we could go another hour on on some of the um, some of the issues that come with, you know, playing amid the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. Uh, this is not a bubble situation like we saw, you know, in that was so successful in Orlando. This is, you know, kind of a close your eyes and jump sort of uh, approach by the league. I mean, you know, teams are going to be traveling. They're going to be playing. You know, in different cities, um, there's going to be fans in some cities. Uh, you know, obviously, testing is the league's defense, where they're going to be testing players every day, and you know, hopefully, being able to identify anyone who is who is who tests positive. But you know, then what does that mean for the on-court product? You know, you're going to frequently have players who are testing positive and not able to play and are away from their teams for two weeks. And what does an outbreak look like? I mean, there's all kinds of questions about the feasibility of this season before you really even, that's yeah. the biggest question of them all, right? I mean, is this season even going to work? But the league certainly earned plenty of goodwill and latitude with the bubble. And we are at least operating under the belief and hope, I think, for all of us who work in and around basketball, that this season will be able to be played and completed with the understanding that there are going to be players and and personnel who test positive. Hopefully we make it to the end. But assuming all that happens, I think we've done a good job here, Slater, of identifying, you know, what the Lakers might be in for over the next 72 games. Uh, Four preseason games, by the way, two against the Clippers in L.A., two against the Suns in Phoenix. And then seventy-two regular season games, and then and then the playoffs, and we'll see we'll see where that leads them. But um, until then, Anthony Slater, any parting thoughts before we uh, turn our attention to training camp and the Lakers getting in the gym later this week? A strange season ahead. You're right. Empty arenas, testing, just all of it. Zoom calls for us. Our jobs are going to be very different this year, but. I'm still excited to see hoops, so let's do it. Exactly. All right, well, uh, thanks so much for listening uh, to the Forum Club. Please continue to read the work at The Athletic, support athletic podcasts. It's a pleasure talking to you guys every week about the Lakers. Obviously, uh, Anthony Slater and I have a lot on our mind each week that we need to unload, and we appreciate having a forum to express those thoughts. So thanks for listening.